Well, thank you so much. Once again, we are uh, here on our 21 days under the shadow of God's wings, studying Psalm 91. And today I want to be talking to you about the power of knowing his name, the power of knowing the name of God. The psalmist here says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. And as we've been teaching, there are promises in Psalm 91 that differentiate the believer, the one who abides in God from the unbeliever. And this is not a proud thing. It's not that we are in a sense better than anyone else. To the contrary, I think we are the people who recognize that actually there is no good thing that dwells within us, as Paul says. And therefore, instead of trusting in our own strength and trusting in our righteousness, we've trusted in the strength of God. We've trusted in the righteousness of God. And because of that, he's placed us into a secret place. The Bible calls it under the shadow of his wings. And when you're in that place, which obviously is in a geographical place, you can be in any nation of the world right now, it's a spiritual place. And when you're in that place, then the incredible promises and blessings and protection and provision of God come alive to you. They manifest in your life. And whilst other people panic, while other people have stress, we, we literally have a sense of peace and joy in the midst of the storm. And it's a place that we've been saying, actually, God has room for everyone. Okay. So whilst it's a promise for the believer, as believers, we're calling out to all those around us and saying, please, God loves you too. He's made a way for you through Christ to come and join us in the secret place of the Most High God. Hallelujah. But we're saying that, therefore, you know, to experience these blessings, um, you need to fulfill uh, or, or you need to understand a, a, a few principles. One, you need to abide or you need to dwell or you need to sit. You need to rest there. As soon as you get into stress, in a sense, you're moving outside of that secret place and you're walking in your own strength now. You're taking the troubles of the world upon your own shoulders. And we should never do that. We should cast our cares upon him who cares. As soon as you do that, then you're saying, Lord, you do it for me. And that's humility. That's humility. And of course, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as soon as you humble your heart and say, I can't do it. I'm not righteous. I don't deserve it. None of these blessings should be mine, but I trust in your goodness. I trust in your grace. Then he delights in a contrite heart and he manifests himself to that person. So firstly, we rest in him or we dwell in him. And then we've also been learning that we need to cling on to God in love. I taught about how you need to set your love upon him. Remembering this though, it's not our love that attracts his love. To the contrary, it's his love for us that attracts our love to him. The Bible says that because he first loved us, because he loved us, we love him him okay so our love for him is a response to his love for us and really if you want to increase your love for him really you need to stop and meditate upon the love of God for you and we've said that his love isn't just a, a, for us it wasn't just a feeling or a, even a word it was proved in action in that Christ died for us even whilst we were sinners and that's an extraordinary thing he he, re he laid down his life for you. He paid a high price for you. That's real, genuine love. But when you respond in love, when you set your love upon him, that keeps you in the secret place of the Most High. And we also said that there's a need to declare his word. The psalmist, Psalm 91, shows all these wonderful principles. Don't stay silent at a time like this. 
Maybe you know the word of God, but it's not coming out of your mouth. That's really important. You shall have the fruit of your lips. And this is why we've been confessing the word every day. This is why we've been making declarations of faith. We know that there is sickness all around. I think probably it's been all exaggerated and I don't want to go into those details right now. But at the same time, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If it isn't coronavirus, then it's something else. Even crossing the road can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the promise is this, that as we speak out the word, indeed that manifests his presence and his protection around us. So you need to learn not to just know the word of God in your head or even sort of read the scripture and think, oh, well, isn't that lovely? You need to speak it out. Speak it out upon your life. Speak it out upon your children, your family. Speak out blessing. Speak out blessing upon your spouse, upon your marriage, upon your finances. Uh, let, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You've got to say something, okay? So mountains are removed when we speak to them. There's a lot of teaching we could go into there about the power of the spoken word, okay? But today I want to bring in a different principle that the psalmist clearly says. He says, I will set him on high. This is God responding to, to the psalmist here. God saying, I'll set you on high because you have known my name, known my name. And uh, we're going to see that in this psalm, God reveals four of his names. And it's really important that we understand that because in English, we tend to, you know, use the same word God or Lord or, you know, something like that. Or we, we have these descriptive names like we'll look at like Almighty, but we don't really stop to think what that really means. But as you stop, he wants you to know his name. And like I said, in scripture, perhaps it's different than the way we name people in our culture. We just take a name that sounds pretty. But scripture chooses names to reveal a characteristic, okay? And sometimes even Jesus changed people's names as a prophetic declaration as to the type of person that they would, would become. His original name was Abraham, but God gave him the name Abraham, meaning father of nations. He literally put Ruah into his, into his name, which means the spirit of grace, the spirit of God. And because that spirit came into him, Abraham became mightily fruitful. So names are very important and God's names reveal who he is. It's important that you know his names in order for you to experience all of his blessings. Amen. So let's just have a consider uh, quickly today some of the names of God mentioned in Psalm 91. Well, first, firstly, uh, verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, the Most High. And in Hebrew, Most High is literally El Elyon, El Elyon. And then the scripture continues, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So there's another name of God, and that is El Shaddai, okay? So what scripture is really painting a picture here is you've got to dwell between these two names, okay, of Elion and El Shaddai. Remember, El always means God, and then with a description at the end. So God the Most High, um, and God the Almighty here, okay? And so let's quickly see the meanings of these names. Well, Elion, uh, the way that you can understand names is by the law of humanetics, which talks about the law of the first mention, okay? So we're gonna look to see in scripture where this name is first introduced. And we discover it first being used in Genesis chapter 14 where we read that Abraham returned from battle against four kings. 
And Melchizedek, who was the priest of the Most High, and we believe he was um, a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus is eternal, okay? He became flesh, the word became flesh 2,000 years ago, okay? But Jesus was before time, okay? God the Son existed before time. He is there, as we'll see, at the beginning of time in creation, okay? In fact, all things were made by him and all things were made for him, okay? When he clothed himself in flesh, so to speak, he became the expressed image of God, okay? So that we who are flesh and blood could hear him and touch him and see him. But he always was and always is and always will be. Um, Anyhow, so Melchizedek, we believe, was a form of Christ, Uh, in the Old Testament and he has this encounter with Abraham and he brings him bread and wine okay so whether you believe that was Christ himself or a typology a person who's representing Christ um, you can see that very clearly in the fact that he's bringing bread and wine which of course represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ okay And during this encounter, you'll see that Melchizedek passes a blessing across to Abraham. Let's just read the scripture here, and then we'll see how we can apply it. In verse 17 to 20 of chapter 14, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavev, that is, the king's valley. And after his return from the the defeat of Chedor Loamur, the kings who were with him, Abraham and Melchizedek, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was the priest of God most high. There it is, God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. So let's have a look at Melchizedek first of all. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness okay and Melchizedek was the king of Salem and from the word Salem my wife will know the 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 Hebrew word shalom comes because it literally means peace and prosperity so literally Melchizedek represents the righteousness of God that brings peace and prosperity into your lives and he came to meet with Abraham and that just is such a beautiful picture of the work of Christ how he comes to bring his righteousness to us okay and because now we have been justified by Christ not with our own righteousness but with his righteousness uh, imputation of righteousness we're clothed in his righteousness now okay even our own the bible says our own righteousness was like filthy rags like filthy clothes but god in his goodness has taken off those filthy clothes of ours okay and put upon us his righteousness okay melchizedek has come and that has produced in us peace why has it produced peace well if you're clothed in the righteousness of christ then you're acceptable to God the Father. Hallelujah. You can't enter the kingdom filthy, but if you're cleansed, you're well accepted. And one of the extraordinary scriptures says that as he is, so are we in this world. Literally, when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus because we're in Christ. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And of course, that gives us peace with God. 
God has nothing against us. The handwriting of requirements that was against us because of our sins has been removed, okay? And so that now gives us peace. You've got peace with God. God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. Actually, to the contrary, God rejoices over you. Not because of your own goodness, but because you've put your faith in Christ. And that's the whole point, okay? So God has got good blessings for each one of us, okay? So righteousness brings peace, and that's the the meaning of the name Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is the priest of El Elyon, the Most High God. As you can see, this is all typology, okay? And these names revealing who God is and who God is for you. He is your righteousness, okay? He is your peace. There'll never be real peace on earth until the Prince of Peace has come, as we know. The bread and wine, as I mentioned earlier, typology again of the body and the blood. The fact that Melchizedek brings the body and the blood shows that he's bringing blessings to you. The body speaks of our healing uh, and the blood speaks of our remission. The Bible says there is no remission uh, without blood. Okay, so this talks about the wonderful sacrifice of Christ and the fact that now you can become the righteousness of Christ and in this package, Salvation also includes healing for your body. Of course, how does Abraham respond? This is wonderful typology as well, because Abraham gives him a tithe. Okay, This is well before Moses' law. We see the principle of tithing here. In other words, um, the, the body, excuse me, the blood and the bread that Melchizedek uh, represents is really shows us how, how Christ is here to bless us, how, how he, to give us righteousness, to give us peace, to give us prosperity. And then the tithe that Abraham gives represents how we can bless him, how we can have his kingdom advance. It's the natural, the, today the tithe isn't a commandment, okay? You're not cursed if you don't if you don't keep it. But the tithe is the response of a grateful heart because now the kingdom of God has come to you. You want this kingdom to advance to other people and you know that that's going to cost something. So people who tithe and give offerings are really people who have been conquered by his love and want to express their love back to God. And that's why so many actually give more than their tithe because they just realize that they all they have and all they are belong to God and now they just want to be poured out as a love offering. Uh, as a sweet aroma, as Paul would say, for the things of God. Because heaven and earth is passing away, but this kingdom that we're building is eternal. Amen. And so that's the most important thing we can do with our finances. And, and so that, you know, that, that's an expression of our gratitude to God. Amen. So that's Elion. Now let's look at El Shaddai, okay? Because like I said, Psalm 91 says in verse 1, and you need to dwell between these two things, Elion and El Shaddai, the Most High and the Almighty. When you have revelation of those names, then you're in the place where he will set you on high, far above all these sicknesses and diseases, these demonic attacks, fear that shuts people down. That fear won't get on you. It'll be like water on a duck's back. You'll just sort of rise up above it on the wings of an eagle. Okay, why? Because you've known these names. You've known that because of Elion, you are the righteousness of God, that you have peace with God. I mean, nothing can separate you from the love of God. El Shaddai. Well, the first time we hear about El Shaddai, is in Genesis 17. 
Verse 1 says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Okay, so here you see God revealing himself as a powerful God. Now, as we said, these two introductions of the names happened in Genesis 14 and 17. And we've said that if you want to be set on high, you need to be placed between them. Something happens in scripture between these two names being introduced. And let's say in the, in the story of Genesis, in between these two introductions. And so let's look at Genesis 15 and 16 to see what God reveals in there, because there's revelation in there for you so that you can be blessed. Well, in chapter 15... Let's get the, the core of it here in verse one and a few verses afterwards. The scripture says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Say, I am your shield. Am your Hallelujah. Shield. Your exceeding great reward. Say great reward. great reward. But Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And listen to this key passage now. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow. Here you find this incredible uh, expression and this incredible revelation that Abraham became righteous before the Lord. He was accounted as righteous, literally. He was, he was declared righteous before heaven and earth and not because of his good behavior, not because he merited it, not because he had done something wonderful. No, the scripture says, and he believed. And because of his faith, because he believed in the promise, okay, in the promise of a son, all right, because he believed in that, God made him righteous okay and this is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we believe in the son we are accounted or accredited to God as righteous it doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter for bad behavior it doesn't matter if you've been a how can I say a criminal all your life or you're the chief or the prince of sinners as Paul called himself uh, when you believe in Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, then all your sins get washed away, okay? But more than that, your sinful nature gets taken off you, you get given a new nature, and you become declared before heaven and earth as righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so here you see, though, that what's happening in the scripture is the introduction of the gospel, Okay, God here is revealing himself as a shield, as our protection, because you know that when you are righteous, you, you are protected. Amen. 
The scripture says now we have the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate protects our heart. Okay, We're protected from condemnation. We're protected from accusation of the devil. We're even protected from the wrath of a holy God because his wrath is set against sin. It is. It is. He's a righteous, holy God. But when you've become the righteousness of Christ, then you're protected from the wrath of God. Okay? People sometimes say, well, listen, it's the wrath of God all over. Well, it is for now in this dispensation. Yes, there's a truce being made at Calvary. And anybody who wants to surrender can come in. But if you reject that, then there's a coming day of judgment. Okay, this is the year of the favor of the Lord. But there is coming a day of vengeance at the end of time, which is called the day of tribulation, when God judges the nations of this earth. But right now, he can be your shield. Just come in to the right. Believe and he becomes your shield and your reward. And I just love the two things. I mean, you've got, you got protection and you've got prosperity. You've got you're saved from and you're saved to. You get out of Egypt, so to speak, but you also inherit the promised land or the promises. You know, it's just a complete package. God here is revealing himself as Elion and El Shaddai in these, these wonderful scriptures, okay? So this is the gospel of grace, okay? Now in chapter 16, which is the other chapter between these two names, something else glorious happens. Following on from the story, we read that first of all, Abraham decided to have, to help God, so to speak, in his own strength. And his wife, Sarah, says to him, look, sleep with Hagar, my maid, and in that way, you're going to get a son from your own loins. Now, you know the story, he gave birth to Ishmael, but God, literally, nothing happened. Uh, 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 God was silent, all right, and didn't speak to Abraham for 13 more years, literally, until he was an old man of 99. And when literally all of his own virility to bear children had gone, he had no strength in himself, his wife had no reproductive ability in himself, that is when he got to the end of himself. He knew that there was no power for him to help. The birth of Ishmael didn't, didn't uh, get the blessing of God. And in that moment, God visits him again, okay, and gives him supernatural power to give birth to Isaac, who is the son of promise. Now, these two children actually represent two things. They represent the flesh and they represent the spirit. And the two mothers, so to speak, represent two things as well. Hagar represents the law, which is fulfilled in our own strength, okay? And Sarah represents grace because she had no way of giving birth. But because of God's goodness and grace, he supernaturally endowed power so that she could, she could give birth. And we know the story that actually when we walk in our own strength, when we try to fulfill the promise, the law ourselves, all we do is give birth to problems. All we give, do is give birth to flesh. We get an Ishmael. And if you follow the whole Genesis story through, you'll see in history through that Ishmael just caused problems for Isaac. Okay, Hagar caused problems for Sarah. Whatever you do in the flesh will always give you problems. It will come back to haunt you later. 
it will give you headaches, etc. What you want to do is trust in the grace of God. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trying. Stop trying to help God out. Okay? You can't. The real humility uh, is to trust in his grace. Trust in his spirit to do things for you. Hallelujah. We rest in his promises. Okay? So that's Genesis 15 and Genesis 16. When you get those revelations, my friends, you'll find that God begins to act in your life like never before. Most people aren't experiencing these blessings because they're trying to fulfill lots of laws and commandments and rules and regulations. And all that's happening is that more and more Ishmaels are coming into their lives, more and more headaches, more and more condemnation. Okay, Because when you try and fulfill the law and you set yourself a high standard and you never keep it, all you do is feel worse and worse about yourself. Okay? It's not that the law is bad. It's not that the high standards are bad. Absolutely not. Jesus Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it. And now, through his grace, he gives you the power to fulfill it. But you'll never have his power if you try and do it on your own. Rather, you need to be in a place where you rejoice in your weaknesses so that he can make you strong. Yes, you boast about those. You say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Hallelujah. Uh, you become humble. Instead of trying to live an independent life from God, following a set of rules. No, no, no. Live your life clinging on to Christ. Each and every day, say, Lord, you're my savior. You're my helper. You're my deliverer. You're my strength. And when you rejoice in, in, in him and, and in Calvary's work, that's when you find an effective power working inside of you and you begin to do more than you can ask or think through that power. It's extraordinary. You live a different life. You're suddenly flying with the eagles. Like we said at the beginning, he lifts you up on high. It's a different walk. It's a different level of blessing. There are so many, you know, well-believing believers out there who aren't who aren't experiencing this. Why? Because they're still trusting in their own strength. They've gone back to the law, even though they're saved. They're following rules and regulations rather than rejoicing in the finished work of Christ each and every day. We want you to flee from that, okay? Flee from Hagar. Don't touch Hagar. Don't touch Hagar, okay? Don't touch the law, okay? Don't touch the law. Our message is a gospel of grace. It's grace that transforms, okay? Jesus Christ, who transforms. Amen. So just thinking quickly now about this psalm, we're talking about knowing the names of God in order to be set on high. There are also other names of God mentioned in Psalm 91. And in verse 2, we read, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. And here there are two more names of God. I would say of the Lord, the Lord there is the word Jehovah, Jehovah or Yahweh, okay? And the word God, my God in him we will trust, is the word Elohim, okay? Elohim. And Elohim is a wonderful word. In fact, if you begin to learn a little bit of Hebrew, you'll know that this ending, him or I am, uh, is plural. It's rather like in English having an S on the end of a word, okay? So Elohim is God in the plural, and of course, we first come across God in the plural, revealing his trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We first come across that where? Right at the beginning of creation. And in fact, you know, people have shown that whatever God created, he put his signature to. Okay. And his signature is trinity. It is Elohim. And if you look at the world, it's always split into three different parts. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have um, time past, time present, time future. 
you have uh, animal, vegetable, and mineral. You have three dimensions, you know, length, breadth, and height. All, all of creation really has the signature, the stamp of Trinity on them because it was Elohim who made them. When God, at the beginning of time, when the scripture says, let, let us make the heavens and the earth, that's Elohim. It's a conversation between these three divine beings who are one, an absolute wonderful revelation. And God wants you to know his name as Trinity. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit, okay? He's all things that you need him to be, okay? And uh, the word Jehovah uh, comes in immediately afterwards in Genesis chapter 2. And Jehovah is a wonderful word too. And you, you need to know these names because Jehovah literally means God of the covenant or God of the alliance. And so whenever you have in scripture God in his dealings with mankind, uh, he always reveals himself as Jehovah. So here in the creation of man, he goes from being Elohim to Jehovah. Why? Because man's on the scene now. And what he's always wanting to reveal to mankind is that he is the God of covenant. And he's a God who's faithful with the covenant, okay? And when you know God as a covenant-keeping God, then that produces such a sense of peace and joy. Hallelujah. When God put the, the rainbow in the sky for Noah as a sign of his covenant, I mean, that just gave Noah such a sense of protection because he knew that God wouldn't pour out uh, another flood upon the earth. God is a covenant-keeping God, and today we have a covenant with God, and it's an immutable. It can't be broken, this covenant, because interestingly, this covenant wasn't made, the new covenant wasn't made between God and man, like Abraham or whoever. No, this covenant was made between God the Father and God the Son, okay? And so both of them are gods who cannot lie and cannot repent, cannot change their mind. The glory is that we are now in Christ. So we're in the covenant, which cannot be broken. God will always accept the work of his son. So it's signed and sealed and delivered. You need to know Jehovah, God of the covenant. Amen. He'll never break his covenant with you because you're in Christ Jesus. You can never be separated now from the love of God. Your salvation is secure, my friend, no matter what happens. As soon as you depart from this world, you can have complete peace that you're going straight to the arms of the Father. Hallelujah. You've already passed from death unto life. Amen. All your sins have been removed from you. That's Jehovah speaking, the covenant-keeping God. The blood of Jesus is on the mercy seat, and that means God has no memory of your sins. Okay? And then finally, in this psalm, right at the end, Interestingly, the psalmist says these words, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, the word salvation, you'll be thrilled to discover, is the word Yeshua. In fact, Jesus means salvation. Yeshua, of course, is the Hebrew word for, for Jesus. Okay, And so here, even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 91, you have an introduction of Jesus Christ the savior of the world. God is promising here, with long life I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Now you could interpret that long life as eternal life or many days, many years here on earth, but both of those promises come into being because of the work of Jesus Christ. He gives us eternal life, but also abundant life, amen. And you know, as I've been saying, 
If you're in Christ, then all these promises come to you. That's why you need to know the names of God. You need to know that Jesus means savior, salvation, okay? The Ark of Noah is a picture of Christ. Now, it's interesting these days, people talk about the coronavirus perhaps being the uh, judgment of the Lord upon the earth because of so much sin. Now, I don't believe that personally. I believe that this is a satanic attack against the church, literally. Satan has been trying to hold us back, and I'm not being presumptuous as I say this, uh, but really the whole of human history is, is, is a, a spiritual battle. And right now the church has been growing and advancing wonderfully here in South America and other nations, and Satan's against us. And, and coronavirus is really a way, I believe, all sickness comes from the devil, but it's also a way that he's trying to shut down churches and stop us meeting together. And, and some people say, well, you can just go online. Well, yes, we can, and we do, and we always have since that technology has been around, but there's power when brothers come together in unity. The Bible says that we should never forsake the meeting of ourselves together, especially as the end comes. And so you can see Satan is trying to stop us because he knows that when we come together in prayer, when we come together and break the bread, uh, the Lord's Supper, when we come together and hear prophetic preaching and all march together as a mighty army in synergy to this, towards the same goals under the leading of apostolic uh, leaders, then there's huge power release and Satan is against that. So I don't believe that this is the judgment of God. But even if you do believe that, perhaps I'm not going to change your mind right now in this short teaching, but I'm here to say that the judgment of God came upon the world in the days of Noah, but everybody in the ark, they passed through the judgment. They weren't touched, didn't even come inside. It was sealed. The whole of the ark, okay, they just kept on going on the inside. So too, that is a that is a picture of Christ. Those of us who are in Christ, even if this is judgment coming down all around us, it won't come near us, won't touch us. We're, uh, we're sealed on the inside. It's interesting that on the ark, God didn't put windows on the side of the ark. Uh, he just put a window up above. And the reason he did that, because, you know, if, if the people on the inside of the ark had access or, you know, could still communicate with those on the outside, then no doubt the people on the outside would have, you know, um, uh, criticize them and mock them and so forth. Why are you going in that ark and all this sort of stuff? And today you have to be careful because if you look into the world the whole time, all you get is this constant torrent of, of criticism against the church. But God doesn't want you to listen to that. Uh, he put a window in the top so you can see what he's doing, okay? So you can read about his word. I tell you, this word shall never pass away. Okay, news reports change the whole time. Politicians change their mind. Okay, this thing is going to blow over. Okay, it's probably going to be seen to be uh, like the, the yeast of the Pharisees, blown out of all proportion. It's set up as this huge thing, when really it's not. But they, the devil is using that, using a spirit of fear to try and take away your liberties, to try and control you. Uh, but we're in the ark. Our ears are closed to that kind of uh, thing. We're keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord and what he's doing in these end times, which is building his church. Can you say amen? And here's the glory. You know, the people on the inside of the ark, do you think perhaps, you know, rather like my sons who are here, they got a little bit of cabin fever, we say in English, you know, a little bit, a sense of being cooped up 
uh, like a chicken in a pen, like a tiger in a cage, and they just kind of want to run loose. My third son, Pedro, is a fantastic footballer, and he normally plays a couple of hours every day, and boy, he's really feeling, you know, the limitations of life right now. And, you know, probably in the ark, they felt a bit like that too. Imagine all those tigers and lions <laughs> strutting around their, their little zone in the ark. Uh, and no doubt, the, you know, Noah and his family who were there would have felt cooped up. And sometimes when you're cooped up, that can make you... Uh, you know, rub up in the wrong way against those near you. You can be short-tempered. You could raise your voice. You know, you can let off a little bit of steam. But you know what? In the ark, even if they fell into sin, they still fell inside the ark. Uh, they were still safe. They were still protected. They weren't thrown out. Same in Christ Jesus. Same in Christ. Once you're in Christ, even if you mess up, and there'll be moments, sadly, it's not the best. We know that. God, God's desire is... To be holy. Uh, but even if you mess up, uh, you're falling in Christ. You're not falling outside of Christ. Being in Christ is everything. Uh, and even though you might fall seven times, God will always lift you up, put you back on your feet. He's a faithful God. Can I hear an amen? So to conclude now, I just want to reveal one more name of God because the New Testament reveals that Christ came to reveal the name, let's say, above all names of God. Okay? He came and reveal God in a new way. In verse 11 of chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says these words, Now I am no longer in the world, but these, thing, these are in the world, talking of his disciples. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. You see, when you know the name, you get kept. Okay, So keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be as one as we are. So here he's revealing God as Father. Father, keep through your name, Father, those whom you have given me. Okay? So God reveals himself in the life of his Son as his Father. Jesus prays when the disciples ask him, teach us how to pray. He starts off by saying, Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your name is sanctified. Your name is separate. You're not like other gods. You're a holy, glorious, gracious, good God. But he starts by saying, Father. When you know God as Father, then everything changes. Whoa. Everything changes. You might know God as powerful, almighty, most high. We spoke about Elohim and El Shaddai and these other names of God. And they're great, absolutely great. But really, when you know him as Father then you come into a place of complete security and peace. A father cares for his children. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if you fathers, being evil, give good gifts to your children, so much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him. And he says, look, you guys are evil and compared to my father, but you still care for your children. So if you being evil care, imagine a God who's gracious and good and loving and kind and long-suffering. Imagine how he cares for his children. Do you want your children to be sick? Of course not. Of course not. So why then say that God gives sickness? Hello. You want your children to be in poverty? Of course not. You want them to have successful good lives. So why then say that God is the God wants us to be poor and all these things? It's ridiculous. God is a good 
father. He's a powerful father. He's a loving father. And he's here to care for us. He wants, a father likes his children close. You know, my kids are all teenagers now. The boys are anyhow. And we already joke about the future. And I say, look, you know, I'm living here, but I'm already eyeing up the house next door for you to live when you get married and the one down the road for you. Because a father wants, he's there for his children. He loves his children to be close to him. And just to finish with this thought then, that uh, Joseph was a type of Christ. He was betrayed by his brothers, you know the story. But when Joseph became prime minister of Egypt and his, revealed himself to his brothers, you remember they'd stolen the cup and other things. You know, Joseph could have got mad with them. Joseph could have said, look, you betrayed me. You sold me as a slave, you nearly killed me. You know, so many rough and tough times happened in my life because of you. It could have been the day of vengeance. But Joseph realized that, uh, no, that wasn't the plan of God. And he said these incredible words to his brothers. He said, please come near me in Genesis 45 and 4. Please come near me. Uh, now, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. Okay? We've all, in a sense, betrayed God. We've perhaps done stuff that shames him or is against him. But Jesus says to us, being our brother, please come near near me he's a god who loves who gathers who cares who protects and interestingly joseph then speaks to pharaoh who in this typology represents god the father okay and asks pharaoh to give them the land of goshen goshen and if you again we're looking at names if you study the meaning of the name goshen it means drawing near or close to me in other words joseph gave to his brothers the land that was close to him because he wanted them cared for and looked after and in proximity to them. Psalm 91 is all about proximity. Psalm 91 is all about being in the shadow of his wings. To be in the shadow means you're close to something. Here in where we live in Brazil, uh, we thank God for the trees that are around. Because when you get into the shadow of a tree in this incredible heat, you feel refreshed, don't you, and covered. It's a glorious feeling. And so too with God. He wants you to feel refreshed and covered, okay? There are storms around, my friends. I'm finishing now. There are storms around. But you know, when you're a little boy and there's a storm at night and you can hear the wind battering at the, battering at the window and the torrents of rain coming down and lightning striking. What do little children do at times like that? In the middle of the night, they get out of their beds. They head to mum and dad's room. They open the door quietly and they lift up the bottom of the duvet and they climb in under the covers of their parents. And that's what God's saying to you in Psalm 91. Come under my covers. Come under my blankets. You're going to be safe under the shadow of my wings. There's a storm out there, but I'm here to care for you and cover you. How does the child feel those nights? Feels so loved, so warm, so protected. Suddenly all the cares of the world go out the window because he knows dad's there. Mom and dad are there. So too God wants you to feel that. He's with you. Just stick under the blankets, the covers, the duvet of the Lord, and you'll find you don't need to fight your own battles. He's already fought them for you. Amen. Well, on that, we're going to break bread here together because, wow, we've been talking about the names of God and the God of covenant and how Melchizedek brought bread and wine to us. And it's interesting that, you know, when we take the bread and wine, sometimes people think, Oh, we're doing this for the Lord. No, this is God's gift to us. Jesus gave the bread. 
He broke it and gave it. Jesus gave the cup, okay? So these are his gifts to the world. His blood, my blood, okay, and my body. And through the blood and through the body, you can experience all the promises of salvation.